the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Welcome to Wine Women Radio. I'm Marcia Maycumber, one of your hosts today with the show. Uh, we are here today with Olga Messina. Thanks for having me again. It's great to have you here, Olga. I love having you here because you have a formal wine education uh, and an international wine education as well. And I is, love drinking wine, too. And you love drinking wine, too, <laughs> which is really great. But uh, Olga is, has got me over, what do you call over a barrel in more than one way in that she's here talking on the podcast in a second language it, this is not your first language. Russian is your first language. It is, yes. But um, I've known Olga for several years, and uh, her English is stellar. So there you go. Uh, we've also got Lauren Wong here. Welcome, Lauren. How are you? Doing quite well. Pleasure to be here. It's great having you here, Lauren. We're gonna we're gonna do a little bit, Lauren, of uh, you know just kind of housekeeping stuff first with industry news and all about our wonderful host uh, and sponsor who's with us. So. Hang on a little bit, Lauren, while we go through this. I want to make sure our listeners know that we are here recording at the Panel Wine Lounge here in Sonoma. This is a beautiful um, wine lounge where you can kick back with a glass or a flight or a bottle of wine with your friends by yourself. I frequently see people here um, playing games. They have a lot of board games and card games that you can just set up with friends nice. that sit out there um, in the main wine lounge. We're actually in the private lounge in the back, which is um, a really beautiful location to enjoy that. Um, and for those who are going, oh, I, you know, I've had enough wine for today. I need something else. There's beer on tap. There's also espresso here, which is kind of cool. And they do uh, little grilled cheeses and cheese and charcuterie plates. They have a lot of little fun stuff that you can enjoy and just kick back or even actually sit out on the front patio, which is mm. kind of nice as well. So they're here at 535 West Napa Street in Sonoma, open Tuesday through Friday, 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturday, noon to 9 p.m. Sunday and Monday are by appointment, uh, and it's certainly open for private groups, uh, little wedding receptions, uh, winery release parties, things like that. You can even join their wine club, or step in and uh, let's say you're on your way to a party and you realized you didn't bring a hostess gift, uh, you can stop in the wine shop and you can pick up the wine and a gift card to go with it. They have a massive collection there of options. So lots of really fun things to do here. Find them at panelwines.com or call them 707-938-7152. So just a huge shout out and thank you for letting them use their private tasting space here. Uh, to uh, do the broadcast for you. Uh, a little bit of news, Olga, that we have. Um, we've, right. we've recently concluded the Women's Wine Competition. This is an international women's wine competition that's in their 12th year. Um, mm. What makes it a women's Amazing. wine competition? Only women judges. Woo! Salute to women judges. Yeah, they do a fantastic job. They had more than a thousand entries this year, which I think is really terrific. Ooh, a lot of tasting. It is. A, <laughs> it is. It's a lot of wine tasting. I think uh, I've heard from some of the judges that they they go sometimes, you know, up to a hundred wines or a hundred and twenty um, 
per table per group because they sit in groups to go through this. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's really That's quite interesting to um, enjoy and to watch. Mm. They do a terrific job. They actually awarded seven Best in Show awards this year, um, 45 Best in Class designations, and 203 gold and double gold medals. So uh, round of applause, uh, yeah. so to speak. I don't have a free hand right now. but <laughs> And... If I can chime in, the interesting Please. thing about the competition that I found is that they don't only, the judges not only recognize the best wine that mm -hmm. are submitted, but also the wines that they think would appeal to women buyers, women consumers, Thank that you. I That's find so interesting. And since Lauren here is our marketing <laughs> expert uh, uh, today, I want to ask you, is, uh, have you ever thought of wines as appealing to a specific gender or age or sort of category have you ever marketed wine that way yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely i think there's wines you know it's all about telling the story behind the wine and there's certain stories that appeal more readily to female consumers sure. versus millennial consumers versus male consumers and it's yeah. all about that communication and how you reach that correct audience mm -hmm. and then of course the matching of the communication to the product in bottle mm. completely yeah Big story. Uh, Olga, thank you for bringing that up because that is a really important component of Isn't the it? women's wine competition yeah. is that they are judging that factor with that in mind mm. as they're looking for what wines will appeal to women. And what we haven't mentioned so far is uh, approximately 80% of all wine is purchased by women. It's a, a huge... Showed. But, you know, there you go. So uh, the, the, the wine entered in that competition does not have to be made by a woman or even have to be made by a woman-owned winery. It mm. can be made by men. It can be made, uh, it could be made even for men. And there maybe they're trying to find out if that wine could have an appeal to mm. women. So it's simply that the judges are all women and they're, mm. and they're judging with this focus on will this appeal to women, which is really cool. Um, we should mention that um, the Woman Winemaker of the Year Award, which is unique to this competition, went to Jamie Benziger of Imagery Estate Winery in Glen Ellen. So mm. congratulations, Jamie. Congratulations. That. That's, that's really pretty cool that that happened. Um, so that's one of the things that happened uh, very recently in the industry news. Uh, another interesting piece of news that I was really pleased to see was that Bill Newlands, who is the president and chief executive officer of Constellation Brands, um, just joined the CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion. Hmm. Now, this is the largest CEO-driven business commitment to advance diversity and inclusion within the workplace. They actually have more than 600 CEOs of the world's leading companies and big business organizations that are leveraging their voices to advance diversity and inclusion in the workplace by placing individual accountability on all leaders and employees to create inclusive environments. Mm. So that's a huge step in the alcohol beverage industry because this industry has been known by us, three women here sitting at the table, that it's really been a male-dominated mm. industry for many, many decades with women kind of hammering on the door, trying to work their way up mm. the ladder uh, into leadership positions. Sure. And here Constellation Brand CEO is leading from the top down, which is fantastic, that they're going to be more diverse and more inclusive And in they, the they, they highlight in their press release as well that they're 
in addition to promoting women within the company, they also developing products that resonate with female consumers. It's kind of the right. same point again yeah. that we're actually recognizing the power of a female of a woman consumer again, which is great. It's really great. Yeah. It's really wonderful to have that. So. Um, they indicate that they are developing a suite of resources, tools, and education courses from unconscious bias, which I know you've talked about, mm -hmm. unconscious bias training, cross-cultural leadership, working with generations, inclusive leadership, and more so that they can support their employees in building better awareness in their culture and recognizing and managing the barriers to inclusion. So kudos. Hmm. to Constellation Brands Indeed, absolutely. for this big step forward. So this is a great thing that for our listeners who may not know Constellation Brands, if you're primarily a consumer um, and not, you know, go Constellation Brands, what wine brand is that? Well, there are many, many wine brands. They're actually a Fortune 500 company. Um, they're a leading international producer and marketer, beer, wine, and spirits. They have operations in the U.S., Mexico, New Zealand, Italy, and Canada. Um, Constellation's actually the number three beer company in the U.S. Um, and their beer companies include uh, Corona and Modelo, as well as Pacifico. Um, and in the wine end of things, their wine and spirits uh, brands includes Robert Mondavi and the Prisoner Wine Company, as well as Kim Crawford, Rafino, Miomi, and Zvet... Oh, I can't say this right, but you can. Olga, is it Zvedka Vodka? Oh, yeah. Okay. My Russian is really exceedingly <laughs> poor, so I leave it to you to guide me on that. Um, they also have some other um, high-end uh, wine brands such as Simi and Mount Veter Winery uh, in their portfolio. Spirits include High West Whiskey and Casa Noble Tequila, um, where they've also had some uh, new wine of innovations such as Copper and Thief and Spoken Barrel. Spoken Barrel. It's a very intriguing name. So neither of the last two I'm familiar with. But um, anybody who wants to know more can find more details at cbrands.com on Constellation. So kind of cool. Be, you know, bravo. Bravo. Yeah, bravo for Absolutely. moving forward on diversity and inclusion. Um, finally, for our news today, we want to uh, uh, let our listeners know about the massive uh, news that came down from the U.S. Supreme Court today. They struck down the Tennessee liquor sales law. So this happened um, uh, very recently, um, that they struck down Tennessee's law that made it harder for outsiders to break into the Tennessee state liquor sales market. Um, this happened with a court vote of 7-2 to two that ruled that the state requirement that someone live in Tennessee for two years... Um, before that they could be eligible for a liquor license to sell within the state violated the U.S. Constitution. Um, so that's a huge victory there um, for all the out-of-state retailers who would like to be doing business mm. um, within the state of Tennessee. Uh, and for people such as the family that moved there that actually brought this case um, to uh, the Supreme Court eventually. It was actually a family that moved there from Utah uh, seeking a liquor license. They moved there um, for their daughter who has a disability who I think could get um, some better care and opportunities um, for her health system. 
um, and uh, were prohibited from getting a liquor license to run their business uh, because they were told to wait two years and so on and so forth. So um, big, big development there. I should mention um, uh, the dissenters, of course, were Justice Thomas and Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch, um, who felt that the 21st Amendment left all regulation of alcohol to the states. Um, but uh, others, of course, who prevailed, um, uh, the Ketchums in particular, who operate Kimbrough Wines and Spirits in Memphis, were the ones who had a bit of a victory here in being able to get a license sooner um, to, to uh, uh, be able to sell liquor within Tennessee. Um, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens um, going forward, if there are going to be a lot more uh, laws approached in other states that have kind of a gray area here. Mm. Um, for instance, Tom Wark, uh, speaking for the National Association of Wine Retailers, indicated that the most important aspect of the court's decision was that it uh, outlined non-discrimination principles um, that were kind of in a gray area that in part of the original case, this is hearkening back to the 2005 Granholm versus Heal decision that overturned banned on wineries shipping um, within states and to other states. This decision um, is in direct contradiction to the claims by alcohol wholesalers and retailers um, and courts and other commentators that states can discriminate against out-of-state retailers. Mm. So this court's decision by the Supreme Court basically said, nope, you can't discriminate against out-of-state retailers. Well, let's say the retailer, the, uh, the out-of-state retailer has a particular wine, maybe in very short supply, um, that you want, but they've been prohibited from shipping into your state. Mm. Now they can, well, and specifically into Tennessee. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this evolves over the next few years and how we can, how we, how we get to deal with that. Right. Anyway, uh, any, any further thoughts? I don't want to hog the time and, you know, maybe people just are totally bored to tears by hearing legal news, but it's a big one for this industry that came down. And so. consumers are the winners. I think that's the main point of it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would, yeah, it's going to open up the diversity of experiences sure. and products yeah, availability. Right. Yeah. Um, if I want, I, I certainly know, having grown up uh, in the Chicagoland area, um, that there was enormous amount of regulation and only certain brands um, could be brought in that those wholesalers brought in and you couldn't get other stuff and you were stuck. So um, anything that opens up the free trade, I think. Right. And the wine world wine is, is so enormous and so diverse and... Yeah, the more diversity, the better. Woohoo! Victory! Gotta love that. Do you want to formally introduce Lauren? I do, I do. Yeah. So um, we have Lauren Wong with us, um, which is really welcome again. Uh, fantastic to have Lauren with us. Lauren is VP of Sales and Marketing for Aperture Sellers. And we're actually, you can probably hear a little bit in the distance, we're enjoying Aperture Sellers wine that you brought. This is a 2016. This is a cat. What is this on the this back? Is our, it is. Yeah, it's our Aperture Ooh. Cabernet. So it's, this is it's beautiful. Very much one of our signature wines from it's the Aperture. Lo it, it's lovely. So for our listeners who may not know a little bit, Aperture 
has the mo- one of the most appropriate names I have ever heard here because this is a <laughs> father-son venture. Uh, Andy and Jesse Katz, uh, and Andy is extremely well known for his amazing photography. So the word aperture for uh, the name of his own brand is extremely apropos. Uh, and is it his wealthy. photo we see on the label? Lauren? Absolutely. So uh, this oh. is an image of Cabernet grapes that mm-hmm. Andy Katz took. Oh, mm. One of his most famous photographs ever. Oh, yeah, but the graces the label. Yeah. Uh, now yeah. Andy has uh, a uh, gallery in Healdsburg, right? Right downtown. We are right on the square. Absolutely. Right, ah. right, right. So now there isn't right now aperture does not have a an on-site tasting room right now but you're working on it right we don't i know we have some really exciting things that we are in construction on okay. at the moment um, right. aperture so, sellers so fill us in a little bit about absolutely. this absolutely i would love to um for the very first time aperture sellers will be building on our estate property um out mm. on old redwood highway so just about three minutes south of the very center of town of Healdsburg, um, a full hospitality space. So a guest tasting space Fantastic. and private experience area um, overlooking our estate vineyards. And then on the same site, we are building a full production facility. So our winemaker, Jesse Katz, will be able to create all of the aperture as well right. as the devil proof wines right there on site. And we'll be able to welcome visitors to the new property right. starting in spring of 2020. So it's right. a lot so, of construction. Wow. It yeah. is a lot of construction. I'm sorry. Sorry if I might have uh, drug in some dirt on my boots this morning, but I came straight from the site today. Yeah, and I bet I bet you've kind of gotten used to um, all the st- construction noises of power tools going and a, a, you know equipment uh, oh, that's mo- moving earth around. <laughs> it's and the sound of excitement over there. So we welcome those noises. So what a lot of fun and exciting things. And so. so uh, Right now, you're making wine uh, at some friendly facility? We do. We do. We actually make our wine over in Calistoga um, at the Carter and Envy Cellars. And um, this will be the first harvest. So 2019 will be the very first harvest Mm -hmm. that we take all of the fruit into the brand new facility. So Mm. fantastic. I bet Jesse is really excited about that. Oh, absolutely. And this space has been designed to precision just to be able to create the blends with the small lots, um, different barrel fermentations, Mm -hmm. uh, total emphasis on the winemaking practice mm. itself so he mm-hmm. basically right. was able to create the dream cellar and right. fermentation so space. did so did jesse himself kind of design up Absolutely. the physical workflow of how how and where he wanted to have the um grapes delivered you know onto his crush pad exactly exactly the flow of how he wanted it to go absolutely absolutely so jesse's had experience he's worked at screaming eagle he's worked at petrus and bordeaux and Mm. with paul hobbs at vino colbos and the sasakaya and argiano families their joint ventures down in patagonia so he comes with an impressive resume it's it's really impressive (laughs) right he's pretty young too exactly exactly it's like he got started as an infant or something sometimes i wonder um but he's able to take a lot of that experience and the mm. successes and the failures and what he would like to see differently and what he loved and really put that into play with a focus on what we created Aperture mm. which is based primarily on Bordeaux varietals mm. um, grown in the Alexander Valley mm. yeah. and so it's, will all the wines be estate 
why so is, no, no, the estate actually is really exciting. We are doing a replant on the ex- estate, oh. um, also custom, wow. absolutely More crafted by Jesse, <laughs> um, but clones from Petrus and Ikem, um, very strategic plantings there. And then on site, when we um, moved into the property um, and purchased it back in 2016, there are old vines infidels on site. Ooh. So they were planted in 1912. Um, oh, so stunning, stunning wow. vines on site. But everything that we have in bottle right now, um, Jesse farms um, and manages and their independent uh, vineyard sites throughout the Alexander and Sonoma County Valley. Mm. Oh, yeah. So let, let's let's back up for a second and make sure everybody knows where they can find more information. You can go to Aperture Cellars online, aperturecellars.com. Absolutely. Aperture-cellars.com. You can email me personally, lauren at aperture-cellars.com. And we do offer private experiences of the tasting booking by appointment. So if you give me a call or shoot me an email, I'd be happy to set you up with a private tasting of the wines. And that is before the full tasting facility Mm. is open next year. Yeah. So if you're if you're really anxious, you can jump in early. Exactly. So, which, which is perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that because mm. you can only do, do things so quickly. And what can you do and see and taste and feel on the private experience? Yeah, absolutely. So Jesse focuses his wines um, on barrel fermented whites. So we do mm. a sh- beautiful Chenin Blanc, a really lovely Bordeaux-inspired Sauvignon Blanc. It's all barrel mm-hmm. fermented. And then our Aperture Blends, which is probably what the brand's most well-known for, um, Mm. what you see in your glass here, the Cabernet Blend, as well as our Red Blend, um, which is a greater blend of Bordeaux varietals. And then we also extend into some really beautiful portfolio offerings of our Single Vineyard Cabernet Mm. expressions as well. Um, and then our devil proof label, um, <laughs> she, she's absolutely incredible. That is a hundred percent Malbec that we create from two specific dry farm vineyard sites in Sonoma County. Mm. Um, and that's, that's an experience to be had as well. We and have. I have to say, I was really intrigued by the fact that I saw that Robert Parker Jr. had says, right? That he had said that, I know you, your eyes went big and I wanted to make sure I had the right name, <laughs> that it was the best Malbec he's ever had. From Hands Northern down. California wine. <laughs> that's yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's some kudos. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, no, that's absolutely humbling to, to be mm. able to receive yeah. so, um, acknowledgement mm. like that. Mm. So it very, very much. Very nice kudos, yeah. particularly since Mr. Parker is retired. So exactly. we're not going to hear so much uh, uh, right. in terms of reviews from him um, uh, uh, that much since then. So very, very cool to hear all that. And the whites are actually from a variety of places. Let's. Let's touch a little bit on each of the the Chenin Blanc. Uh, I was thinking more Sonoma Coast. It's it's Clarksburg. We it is Clarksburg. Okay. Really, I mean, it, it is hard to find old vine Chenin Blanc in California. Um, in but Sonoma Clarksburg County, is where you look. That is where you look. That is so. It's this beautiful old vine Chenin Blanc um, from a vineyard site up there. We do a little bit of barrel fermentations with it, um, mm-hmm. so it sees a little bit of that oak influence, giving mm-hmm. it a little bit of roundness and body and weight to it, but still really highlights that sparkling, bright acidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also do our Sauvignon Blanc, which was very much inspired from Jesse's time um, at Aubryon mm-hmm. in Bordeaux and mm-hmm. he absolutely fell in love with the Aubryon Blancs and very much wanted to recreate something here in Sonoma mm-hmm. County so we work with Dry Stack Vineyard right at the base of Taylor Mountain in Bennett Valley mm-hmm. um, for our Sauvignon Blanc it's this incredible incredible site that's a much cooler climate mm-hmm. we actually harvest it much later in the year than a lot of the other so you know take longer <laughs> yes it takes a little bit longer we get those um, berries to really fully 
really develop their complexity on the mm. vine. And then that wine actually sees 100% barrel fermentation. Ooh. So it's um, really beautifully, beautifully complex and well integrated. Fun. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Lovely, lovely, lovely stuff. So, and then from there, um, we work our way into the reds, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we have all these choices. When well, I have to say, this aperture, um, one of the things that's kind of cool is um, the Cabernet photograph on the label. What's intriguing to me is a lot of people probably think, oh, you know, the, the grapes are really purple, 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 or deep red. But in the photograph, they look very blue, um, which is true. They often do. But this particular blend is, I get a lot of blue notes in it right off the bat. A lot of blueberry notes to mm. this wine. So it's beautiful. Yeah, lot, I couldn't agree lots more. Of ar- lots of aromatics to this. Indeed, yeah. So what are you, what are you getting in this, Olga? It's, uh, to me, it's a very lush and voluptuous wine. The mm-hmm. one that, you know, stays in your mouth for, for a long time. Silky. Uh, in, yeah, sure. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of different fruits, um, red berries and blackberries, mm-hmm. and uh, and, o- and obviously and a bit of spice. It's a little a plum in a there. A little plum and a little uh, vanilla mocha. and cinnamon and mocha. All of that. And cassis. Mm. Get little hints of cassis yeah. in oh, this as well. It. So lots of things. You guys are spot and on. And like a good homemade, <laughs> good homemade. Uh, black cherry jam oh wow i think yeah mm. delicious well here we have to do a little clink for that beautiful cheers Ooh, we yeah that. <laughs> we do a little loud clinks because our clinks are away from the edge of the microphone so here we'll do we'll do there now everybody can hear it a little bit so um let's back up for a second and our listeners may not know how this all came about um Andy was certainly doing a lot of photography with wine. Uh, uh, but Jesse, of course, was very young when he got his first exposure. He was toting along with dad. Exactly. Well, in Jesse, I mean, I grew up out here in Sonoma <laughs> County. So you did. That's wine right. life, wine culture, all of that was very much a part of my childhood. And, you know, I always knew that was a career option for myself. Um, Jesse grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Mm. So really different environment. Not exactly from the wine, wine capital <laughs> of the world. <laughs> no, no. But you can buy a lot of great wine in Boulder. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Andy, I mean, Andy's done over 15 different books, a lot of them on great wine growing regions mm-hmm. of the world. He's done mm-hmm. a book on Tuscany, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Napa. Sonoma and for all of these um, books and excursions he would get on a plane spend several months in a country um, documenting work and he would take his young son Jesse along with him um, so that was really that learning that, at dad's knee exactly <laughs> and that experience of travel and, and sure. seeing you know the wine culture and all of these different areas of the world was the the first exposure and really left a lasting impact on jesse and where he wanted to take his career and, and really one of the most beautiful and regions in the world oh too, my goodness right? yes yeah. things were not not ugly vacation spots no. for sure <laughs> oh goodness oh, just all kinds of fun things to learn about how, you know how this came about to be so then from there uh 
Did Jesse go to one of the wine school? I'm trying to remember so, his history. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So Jesse graduated from Fresno State. And at the time, that was the only um, school that had a working winery on site. So mm. Jesse knew that he needed to get that hands-on experience mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe somebody who'd grown up in the cellar of their parents or grandparents um, could have been getting since childhood. He wanted to right. have all of that under his belt while he was going through school. So mm. they were the first. Now Davis has one. But had the working winery. You could do everything from growing growing the grapes to mm. making the wine to packaging it in <laughs> bottle on site and, and develop that experience along with um, the more analytical mm-hmm. textbook um, uh, work that he was doing at the same time. Very fun. Well, a good way to go. Fresno, Fresno is one of several really great schools for uh, winemaking experience and education. So, and, and as, you, as you noted, he's since gone on to uh, several wineries before having his own with his dad. Uh, and being able to uh, rack up uh, an array of awards and fantastic reviews. Um, I know if you go to the website and you go through the list of accolades and, and press history, it's it's impressive. Uh, it's kind of quite stellar to hear uh, you know how all of these things have gone over. And, and then to have this combined with the beautiful to- photography is fantastic. And Lauren, you yourself have quite the visual background because in a similar way as Jess, Jesse grew up at his dad's knee, getting a, you know the perspective on wine and winemaking from the photographer's point of view. Um, but within your own background with your dad, Chuck, uh, has this background as producing these stellar wine labels. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely, absolutely. So growing up, um, I grew up in Santa Rosa with my three brothers and my dad at the time had his office in the spare bedroom of our house. (laughs) So I very much grew up with um, the labels of Frog's Leap and Spotswood and Araujo and Ornelia and Mazzetto. Um, Those were iconic images throughout my childhood and young adulthood. Hence the name of the design group, Icon Design group exactly Uh, well before they were recognized on a world scale and throughout the wine community and truly I mean that's what that's why I'm here today and that was where my passion spurred from and was really listening to him my dad he would say then and he still does today he says that his job is to tell the story of the people in the place that put that wine to bottle Mm -hmm. um so and that I mean, wine is just such an incredible, incredible product. I mean, it has the ability to transcend time and place. We're looking at a particular vineyard and a particular vintage put into bottle with a cork, almost like a time capsule to be opened at a later date. And the ability to communicate the hands that put that wine there, the people, the place, and all of the intention behind it in a short snippet of the label or the brand messaging is right. truly, truly an honor and a great position and a great responsibility to be had. Um, and that's really where I found my draw to the wine community and, and um, an honor that I wanted to take right. forth in my own life as right. well. Very nice. And your dad has told quite a lot of those stories. I, I looked up the <laughs> website and there are dozens, if not hundreds of labels that... I was going to say thousands. Honestly, yeah. you could be quite right. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, yeah. there's every now and then there's a label that pops up that I go, oh, you did that? I didn't know. 30, the one behind you, actually. 30 yeah. years before. <laughs> That's what matter I remember. Fact, yeah. Matter of <laughs> fact, matter fact uh, Olga brought this up um, yeah. before we got started. She says, did you know that Lauren's dad did the label from the previous podcast that we were doing? <laughs> I was like, no. 
yeah. See, this is what and it's that's Cornell Vineyards. Cornell right? Vineyards, so and one he of also them. did that label, and it's a it's a gorgeous label too, as well as is the Aperture label. But you, exactly. Did your, did, so was your dad in on Aperture as well? Absolutely. So well, Andy supplied the photographs, world. and then my father he did um, all of the design elements for both the Aperture and Devil Proof labels, mm. and it's really fun. Jesse and I we send our dads up to press checks together. We say please double check the qu- the quantities and the numbers and sign on the dotted line. And then we know yeah. the aesthetics will be off the charts. So uh-huh. lovely connection. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's one way to make sure things go really smoothly when you're working with a professional like your dad. Right. Absolutely. Um, Cause they have that history. I was going to say it's, he's been doing labels for, shall I say at least 30 years? Is that 30, at least 30, at least probably closer to 40. Um, he started frog sleep was his first label and he did that in his very early twenties. Wow. Um, mm. For I think like a case of and wine, an, <laughs> and, and it's an iconic design, and we, you know we all you know immediately the image jumps to mind, uh, you know of what that design looks like, um, and really makes it stand out. And it, it's an aspect of the overall marketing of the wine that is so strategically. All three of us are in forms of marketing uh, wine brands. Uh, it's so important because when you go to any type of a, a particular large store, you go to a wine shop of any kind, and you've got rows and rows and rows of bottles, and they're all shaped relatively the same. Spirit, spirits is a you know a, a separate area, and spirits you're more likely to see variations in bottle shapes and unique um, developments of different mm. bottle styles and spirits. But in wine. You you pretty much only got a few styles of bottle sizes and and shapes uh, and glass color, and after that, it is the distinction of the label and the capsule right. that make the big difference. Absolutely. So this is really hard to to find the thing that makes something stand out. Have you right. ever been involved in your dad's creative process? Has he ever bounced off <laughs> ideas of you? Yeah, yeah, actually, um, absolutely. Uh, one of, uh, on, on many different planes, but um, right. one of his labels that he did for Whitehall Lane was actually um, a uh, melted crayon drawing that I had done as a three-year-old in um, preschool. And he had done <laughs> his entire presentation and he comes in and goes to present and he goes, okay, so here's what I did for this project. And then my daughter did this. It, and it's this like really interesting kind of abstract melted crayon drawing and he goes I think this would serve as a better label than the stuff that you actually hired me to do and oh they goodness. used it on their label for years and years with my full name printed underneath oh, it and, you know oh. the money went to college and <laughs> he very much attributed that artwork to me so. crayons as a kid did not go over well because I evidently I don't remember doing this but my mother says I put them behind the radiator, a bunch of crayons, and they melted and created quite a mess. And who knows? That could have been an incredible <laughs> label, too. If we just captured it. We don't know. <laughs> Instead, it just made a mess. But yours was art. Yeah. <laughs> Already at three. Yeah. Wow. And, and now, you know, we collaborate on projects every now and then, or he asks right. my opinion. I mean, mm. it's, it's um, especially, you know, as we talk about women and, and as consumers and as right. this huge buying force, um, whenever that comes into play, mm-hmm. I'm always happy to kind of lend an opinion there as well. Right. Has Label design changed over the years. Are there things that are super in fashion now, or 
I think the brands, absolutely. I think brands that um, kind of stand the test of time will come up with something that is iconic and serve for generations. Mm. There's certainly, you know, you see floods of these waves of um, trends, and I think that maybe translates a little better to a shelf set. So something that mm. is purely selling based on picking it up on the store and, and capturing that consumer's attention in that one minute span, as we were mm. just talking about. Um, you saw it with like critter labels or, yes. you know, certain color schemes. Mm. Um, but I think something that's going to really truly and accurately and authentically represent the brand has to be such an accurate storytelling of who those people in place Mm. is that it's hard to get really trendy with that Mm. and still tell a really genuine story and I think those are the labels that are going to kind of tell the tale of time as Mm. well it's a bit of a European approach isn't it it's like we're here in the long for the long game right we're here for many years but even you know in Europe we can note that a lot of the um Uh, a lot of the brands you know with hundreds of years of history in many cases they've shifted Mm. um depending upon the that brand they've shifted their marketing approach and their visual approach considerably so you know hundreds of years ago well even even you know 50 75 years ago um the standard way of going about things was to put your chateau uh as the visual uh you know a lithograph Mm. uh, on the label uh, and that was the mark of distinction. And mm. be, and due to um, the the French wine laws, they had very specific things that they could physically put on the bottle uh, and list about their brand. And they stuck within that. But then there were people like Rothschild mm-hmm. who broke the mold mm. and said, well, I'm not putting a d- darn chateau <laughs> on the... Um, uh, on the bottle. I'm going to have some famous artists who are friends of mine. How convenient. <laughs> I'm going to have them do some great art and share that on the front of the bottle. So Rothschild started uh, by introducing and having a lot of uh, great artists, including mm. people like Picasso right. uh, and others uh, contribute uh, label designs, um, which mm. other, other winery owners have taken up to this day mm-hmm. as an approach. Uh, I have to say Aperture, what a perfect name. For Andy and Jesse, uh, because of course, aperture is, you know, the opening and closing of the aperture captures something in the moment of time. And every vintage is capturing a moment in time. Um, so, what an apropos name for the brand to go with the father son theme here, uh, with Andy being uh, the leading photographer out there and capturing wine in its different form from you know vine form to grape form and whatnot uh uh, right where it is capturing that visually yeah no you're absolutely right i think seeing these two forces kind of work together jesse is the winemaker and andy is the photographer you begin to see a lot of these parallels in both of their very separate very diverse career paths and that focus and that um, creativity and, mm. and what they're doing to both create their own very individualistic craft. Right. Um, it's very interesting to kind of run those parallels and see mm. how their brains work so much alike um, while focused in two very different careers. Mm. Yeah. yeah, very, very cool. And how did you come to work to the winery, with the winery? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, started working with Jesse back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, it was just he and myself. We actually hired our first additional employees at the beginning of this year. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> I had known Jesse for years, and I had always specialized on the sales, marketing, brand strategy mm. um, side of the industry. And he, of course, always specialized in production. So we right. thought if we joined, joined forces, um, we could probably 
probably, you know, do something really great with Aperture. <laughs> right. Very cool. And that means to me that, Lauren, you've had to wear a lot of hats. <laughs> uh, um, it, this is something actually that the three of us all have in common because we've worked for different um, small size uh, uh, winemakers or wine projects. Uh, and it usually means we have to wear a lot of different hats from social media to websites to actually going out and pouring the wine at public events and things like that. Um, talk a little bit about your history doing that and what it's been like career-wise juggling all those different hats that you have to wear for a small winery. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, especially working with Aperture and kind of starting the brand out on our own and working mm -hmm. you know, for essentially a startup, um, mm -hmm. it was really exciting to be able to see all the different parts of that process that mm -hmm. maybe you had just heard about but weren't right. deeply involved in. I mean, there's the the fun uh, hospitality and events focused side of things and then there's the little bit less sexy compliance and right. accounting side of things. Ooh, um, yeah. But it all, it all goes together to make it work in any one piece, you know. Without it, the, the winery wouldn't succeed. So it's been hugely um, mm. impactful, both for my professional development as well as just my personal development mm. to be able to really do a deep dive and understand completely how each of these different subsects of the winery as a whole has to operate. Very cool. I'm curious, Lauren, um, you know, you, you obviously grew up, you know, with your dad in the wine world here locally, you know, we're kind of uh, entrenched in it here. There are a, a tons of people, of course, who don't have anything to do with the wine industry uh, where we live here in uh, Napa Sonoma wine country. When did you when did you know you wanted to f be in the wine industry as part of your career? Absolutely. Well, I, I went to school for marketing, mm -hmm. um, so I always okay. knew that that like the the psychology of marketing was always mm -hmm. something that was absolutely fascinating to me, and how to appeal to consumers and how to speak to people so people will listen was always something that drew me from a very young age, and very much so influenced by my father and mm. his um, ability to kind of talk to people through that uh -huh. those communication efforts from a marketing right. standpoint. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say it was until I um, actually spent time living in Italy and working with the Antonori family mm. at Ornelia and seeing the way they focused their passion and their wine into every aspect of their life mm. and seeing how that winery worked where there was the production side of things and the marketing side of things and nobody was isolated in their departments. Everyone was working as like a big family toward a common passion and goal. Seeing that really executed at a really high level mm -hmm. um, for the brand Ornelia in Bulgari on the coast of Tuscany um, was just eye-opening for me and it really solidified for me that this is where I wanted to take my career path and I wanted to come back to California and find a place that I could work that was something like that. Mm. So how's your Italian? Not very good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Better. Sure when, you're, when you're there and you're entrenched in it and you hear it all the time, it's, it's a whole different story. Yes, I'm sure it'll, it all comes back to you, right? So. I think you just need a lot of emotion yeah. and gestures, right? That's basically yeah, and a couple glasses of wine don't hurt either. <laughs> yeah, sun, suddenly the fluency starts yeah. flowing. <laughs> the, gray cell, the gray cells that edit you and keep you from... You know, using, <laughs> employing your vocabulary, right? Somehow disappear, and it's—I don't know. It <laughs> takes up the little stops in what you're doing, which is which is kind of a fun way to do this. So, so very cool to see how this evolution has gone. So now you get to since you've been working with Jesse since the beginning on this in 2015, you got to tell us a little bit about what what's uh dad and son's vision and where where you see all of this going down the road with aperture 
Yeah, the focus of the new property um, is very much to create a place that we can welcome visitors to mm-hmm. for the first time that really showcases what Jesse's doing. And his intention from a product standpoint is working with cooler climate vineyard sites in Sonoma County primarily and really elevating the region. And that's what mm-hmm. we want to do with the property is not only create something that's really recognizable and, and resonating mm-hmm. with our customers, um, but really helps elevate the town of Healdsburg and put Sonoma County on the map and um, does something for this area that we're so mm. proud of. I wonder, uh, so you're opening this big hospitality center that mm-hmm. I really want to hear more about, but um, uh, Sonoma County and Healdsburg in particular have so many wineries. It's over 400 wineries in Sonoma County <laughs> alone. And, and I've, I've heard yeah. complaints how... Uh, oversaturated Hillsburg is in terms of tasting rooms. So at this age and with so much competition, like what do you even need to do to stand out and to be noticed yeah, as, as a tasting Absolutely, space. yes. So what we want to do is, is do something different because mm-hmm. we recognize the importance of creating an experience that's differentiated and memorable and um, mm-hmm. is more of an experience and less mm. of just a tasting. So we have um, created the actual physical space to allow for all different pockets of experiences, private rooms, mm-hmm. smaller group settings, mm-hmm. and areas that we can have intimate conversations and really treat this as, you know, an educational experience and a way to connect deeper about the wines with our customers in a way that's really engaging for them. Um, we were fortunate as well to be situated. The vineyard sites that was really the epitus for creating this project mm-hmm. um, on that land is in an area that is really not oversaturated. So mm. that's, you know, that's partially helpful. why we were yeah. able to, right. you know, build mm. where what we right. are, where we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit south of the town of Hillsburg, mm-hmm. just by a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. but it's not right on the right. downtown square. Mm. Yeah. And for our listeners who might be further afield, just to make it clear, you know, you've probably experienced it wherever you live. Uh, getting building permits uh, is, well, <laughs> it's a struggle at best, at kindest. I mean, it's, it's, it's just difficult to do for understandable reasons. They're very permanent structures. Um, and certainly within the wine industry, there's an enormous amount of regulation around it. Um, sometimes you're dealing with things like environmental impact reports mm-hmm. that you have to go through. It's a lot of hoop jumping through. And to make sure that everybody understands and everybody can deal with uh, the changes in driving traffic that's going to be coming through, noisy, noise situations, how it might be impacting wildlife where you are constructing your building. So all of this adds, it just adds time to, if you're creating something new, like building mm-hmm. a tasting room facility uh, for your guests, it, it just changes everything for, for what they're going to be able to do. And mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. it's also how they get to know the brand better. And I want to ask a little bit in terms of getting to know the brand better. You've got a club or an allocation system going now? We do. Okay. We do. So Let's... we sell our wines by allocation only um, through our mailing list. And, and you can join that by going to our website. Um, we do have some wines available on our website for sale today. Um, we just got through our spring allocations. So there's a little bit of those wines left. Okay. Um, but yeah, that Good is the best know. way to find us. Mm. So I want to make sure, since you said there's just a little bit left, I want to talk a little bit more now that this 2016 Aperture Cabernet Sauvignon is opening up a little bit more. This, I, it just absolutely dances um, in a really elegant way 
through uh, it, its attack is really clean and nice, and then in the mid mouth, it opens up really beautifully. You've you've got this uh, very strong sense. The the blue fruit continues, all the red fruit continues, but you've also got uh, a clear backbone between the acidity and the tannins, and it keeps stretching through. It's like it's I don't, I don't know if gymnastics comes to mind. <laughs> I don't know why, but. Uh, it, it's like it's doing a great floor routine, um, stretching through the back of the palate. And then the end, the end, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but since I'm on the gymnastics mode metaphor here, I'm going to go <laughs> with this. It, it's like somebody coming off, I don't know, the high bars or the uneven bars, and they're doing a triple or a, a quadruple of, you know, some kind of a twist <laughs> thing. And then they land and they stick it, you know, and it's there and it's like, and then it's it keeps going. You're hearing the applause going and going. So it's still there. Marcia, have, have you ever considered writing wine poetry? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I have to leave that to the wine writers. No, That's I why love they it. Do what they do. I'm, I'm changing all our tasting notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, if, if you want if you want to match what Andy's doing, then you have to say. It's like a really long exposure. There you go. Yes. Double points for the photography yeah. reference. <laughs> Get into the photography Love it. reference. It's like a really long exposure where maybe, you know, he's trying to capture uh, the light at night and the stars and he's got to leave, you know, the aperture open for a really long time to gather exactly. all the light in there. On that. And Love it's it. just beautiful. It keeps going that way. Sorry. All, right. all right. Back over to you to Olga. <laughs> oh, I'm just interested in uh, Lauren's career, actually. <laughs> well, that's so, a good one. Well, you know, we've been asking people, uh, because Wine Women, of course, is focused upon the mission of helping women accelerate their careers in the wine industry and helping champion them uh, in the ways that they can make their career move along faster and get more from it. What do you want to share with perhaps our women listeners? And I think being career? one of two people in a startup, it gives you yeah. an incomparable experience. It of sure does. Like, right? Basically, mm-hmm. uh, from my perspective, so much depends on each person, one of the two. And you see the direct results and outcome of your actions today. You see them tomorrow. Isn't right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're completely yeah. correct. You're completely correct. And in terms of... Um, you know, furthering our careers and helping women out and providing those resources. Quite honestly, what I've found the most helpful for myself in my mm-hmm. career, as well as others among me, is um, collaborating and mm. having a mentor and talking to each other. I think working with and learning from and learning with other women in the industry mm-hmm. um, at all levels is really our most powerful tool mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. where I've gained some of the best insight is bouncing ideas off of people or asking advice mm-hmm. or gaining insight or saying, what are you doing? And creating that community. I think that's one of the things that we as women do best is, you know, powerful communication right. and community building. Mm. It's interesting how getting a mentor uh, is a sort of a common thread mm-hmm. in the second session that I'm having. Really? How do you find a mentor? Who have your mentors been? Yeah, I mean, I think you can Sounds find like your a dad mentor. was one to begin with. Sure, right there, absolutely, growing up with a, a, a label designer and our artwork guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, in, in my person personally, I've found people who've either done something that I've really admired mm-hmm. or have tackled a problem that I mm-hmm. saw like really difficult and kind of 
gave them a call or sat right. down and said, mm. can we have coffee? Can we talk about how you did that? You know, um, lend that advice. And then, you know, it also uh, makes me realize that I always want to have my phone open to those who give me a call as well. Um, Good way to go. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a strong sense. Have you, be, besides your dad, uh, have you had both men and women mentors in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it's in the industry or outside of the industry. Um, and I think mentors can be people that you admire from afar and follow and read up on and follow their career paths and strive as an example for it can be, you know, a colleague that mm. has really shown you something interesting mm -hmm. at work or a way to, you know, approach a job at, at your own work. Does, d does any particular story pop in your mind from some sort of interaction you had with somebody that kind of forced you planned or unplanned to take maybe a different direction where you were unsure about what to do and somebody said definitely go this way and you went okay I'm I'm ready to make that leap because of that talk you had with them. Sure. I think absolutely. I think anytime I've taken a really big jump in a career or taken a risk, um, you know, naturally you weigh your options, you second guess, you have, you know, there's a lot of feelings about taking a big leap, mm. whether it be leaving a position, whether it be starting a small mm -hmm. brand, whether it be continuing on, you know, to the next stage of development within the company that you're with or looking at outside opportunities and, um, I, I've found my best practice is to always engage, you know, somebody close to you or somebody that you trust and admire and, and um, value their opinion. Mm -hmm. And that can always be, you know, just through conversation. Maybe they don't tell you to go for it or maybe they don't say, well, you should do this. But sometimes that conversation can really facilitate mm -hmm. a greater understanding for you. And um, for me personally, that's always been really helpful in determining, you know, the outcome of a situation and feeling really comfortable with that and taking that next step and feeling confident mm -hmm. in moving forward with that. These all get very complicated, you know. We're always wondering <laughs> if somebody if somebody is actually seeing, oh no, that's not the real me, you know, the 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 wizard behind the curtain kind of mm. syndrome of, you know, actually, you know, I'm not this I don't have all the answers. We get nervous about not having all the answers and the answer and, and the answer is we don't have all the answers. Exactly. Yeah. I've never so, we never will. <laughs> So <laughs> but take the risk. We, yeah. get, to, we get to keep lear learning, which is fun. So, mm -hmm. Lauren, I want to give you a, before before we cut out here, because I want to mention a few more things about Aperture. Thank you so much for bringing this beautiful Aperture 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon from Jesse Katz for us to taste. Thank and of course, you. Andy did pleasure. the photography on the front of the label. It's absolutely uh, a beautiful wine, and I'm so glad that they're, there are a lot of choices for your fans to um, enjoy from the white wines that Jesse makes all the way through to these beautiful red wines that you've got. I really like them quite a lot. They're, they're quite stunning. Before we go, I want to make sure you get to leave our listeners with um, what they should know about Aperture. Absolutely. So we currently are offering private tasting appointments. If you give me a call at 707-200-7891 or shoot me an email um, or head over to the Aperture Cellars site, the best way to find our wines now is to join our mailing list. Um, so we will have another release coming up at the end of the summer, which is where we will release our next vintage of the stunning wine you have in your glass here. Mm. Um, so we'd be excited to extend that offering to new followers um, and then stay tuned. We will be opening next year and we would love to invite you out personally to the property in spring of 2020. Yeah, that'd be great. And you can see more of Andy's photography and taste more of Jesse's beautiful wines. So they're, that they're is so exciting. Yeah. Or yeah. visit the gallery space downtown yes. Guildsburg. Come, that's the best place to see Andy's work. He has some incredible photographs taken from 
all over the world. Okay. Um, beautiful, beautiful imagery from great wine growing regions throughout the world um, available for you to come and peruse right downtown yeah. Healdsburg. Yeah. And you can take a break for 10 minutes or a half an hour from your, your wine country uh, touring uh, from winery to winery. Come and relax. I always think going into a gallery and looking at the visuals is just a really great way to decompress and and kind of soak in what has to be offered visually so exactly thing. we think wine and art yeah. go beautifully together <laughs> uh olga wine women has uh some events coming up uh, you can visit the website winewomen.net uh for those who might be interested indeed in- there's several planned this summer that's right mm. that's right so a uh, number of events coming up so that's the place to find out for wine women uh, listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in to Wine Women today and hearing what uh, Lauren Wong has to say about Aperture Wines and, and also learning at her, her dad's knee about uh, uh, wine labels and all of that. Olga, I want to thank you for, for stepping over from Wine Women to... Thanks so uh, much for having me. For and being a co-host today. I love drinking all this great wine. Uh, there you go. And talking to smart women. There you go. Magic ingredients. Great conversation <laughs> and great wine, making for a memorable experience. I'm Marsha Maycumber. I will be back with you as well as uh, our other co-hosts uh, with another episode of Wine Women Radio next week. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.